Hello and welcome to Coordination's Overreaction, Louisiana Tech. I'm Greg Mahochko, and joining me is the the man with the plan. I don't know what the plan is. We're going to find out the plan. That's Haas Reuter. Haas, my uh, broadcast buddy, what's going on? Not too much, Greg. How are you this evening? I am doing well, doing well. Quick uh, ap- apology or programming apology because, uh, yes, we know that uh, this game was two days ago, but life happens, man. And uh, as, as we've learned here at Corn Nation and, and hopefully across Husker Nation is that uh, uh, there are some things that are more important than Husker football. Yes, there are. And that's all we really need to say. Uh, probably probably didn't even need to address it at all, but that's what I do. I overthink things, Hoss. Overthink hey, you know things. what? It's just a sign of intelligence. Uh, that's I don't, know, I don't know what made your weekend so great that you're being so nice to me, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> have, I ever been, have I ever been mean to you? Never, never. Um, that, that's, I only know. reserve that for John. <laughs> it's john (laughs) well well let's uh get into it nebraska uh louisiana tech uh again they played uh this past saturday memorial stadium and nebraska comes out victorious 28 14 uh was a win it's a notch in the win column but but i was looking at uh, john's prediction and my prediction john said 38 to 9 i said 45 to 6 and buddy we were both wrong Yeah, it's one of those games that when you're watching it, you think to yourself at various points, the only people watching this right now are the people who are actually fans of these two schools. Because there's no casual fan that's tuning in to see that. Like, (laughs) you know, like the, it's a face that only a mother can love. It's that, it's the college football equivalent of that. Because I mean, when we're averaging like two yards per attempt in the passing game on first down, I, I mean, and I know that this is run the damn ball country, but at the same time, we need an effective passing game. It's just uh, it's very methodical football that's not always the most aesthetically pleasing football. So we, let's talk about because I've got the the passing statistics pulled up right now. Uh, Heinrich Harburg, by the way, got his second start uh, in front of the home uh, crowd there, went eight for 18. The average per attempt was 5.9 yards, and the average per completion was 13.4 yards. So um, it's not great. On the other end, though, uh, Nebraska did rush for 312 yards uh, and talk about run the damn ball country, 48 rushing attempts uh, against Louisiana Tech, which is great. I mean, Nebraska's – stalwarts old fans have have asked for two things right he said bring back the the stiff defense and bring back a rushing game you rushed for over 300 yards uh, asterisk or not i don't care uh when you're talking about louisiana tech but you you rush for that many ga- uh, yards that many attempts some old school fans are going to be real happy by that hoss. Yeah. And as we all should be happy because this game kind of had the hallmarks of one that we would lose in the past. Yeah. You know, um, I think that this staff especially is the difference in 
being willing to embrace changing conditions on the fly, you know, being willing to incorporate the real-time feedback they're getting from the game of, hey, our best best option, no pun intended, is to run the quarterback and then it fully embracing that because so many other staffs we've seen at Nebraska that just flat out won't embrace the, you know, easy, sensible decision. Um, they won't just make the routine play. And so in this game, I thought it was a big step forward as a program in general that, hey, we embraced who we are and we executed it. It wasn't always pretty, but in the end that we proved to be the more physical football team. I want to talk, you know, highlight some of those individual statistics here real quick. Um, Let's talk about rushing the ball. And wouldn't you know, the quarterback was the leading rusher once again. Uh, And, Quite possibly would have had even more, uh, but yep. one of them was was called back for a touchdown by Heinrich uh, oh. Harbert, who we learned, I learned specifically on Sunday that uh, Heinrich, because uh, Husker football uh, on Twitter tweeted out something about one, after one of his big runs about uh, uh, watch Ricky run or something like that, and I said wait, and I and I quoted the tweet and I said is that like are we supposed to call him Ricky now? And uh, Heinrich's mom responded to that tweet on Sunday saying, that's my least favorite of all his nicknames. I said, okay, okay that, that one does not have mom's approval. Okay, so with Heinrich. We're, we're sticking with Heinrich. Uh, but 20. Uh, really? 19? That's the least favorite one. I would have thought that there'd be another variation. That'd be her least favorite. I, the, I could pull it up right now and, and show it, but that's not going to make for great podcasting. No, no, I got you. Yeah. Um, 19 carries, 183 yards. Uh, well, a net of 157. Of course, the big one, that 72-yard touchdown run. And on a day when the Martinez brothers, uh, not really brothers, but uh, when Taylor and Adrian were both in the house. <laughs> it was I mean, it, it was it was it was perfectly timed, and I'll tell you, I think maybe a lot of people slept on the fact that old Double H uh, could could move like that. I mean, he wasn't just making you know, he. We've seen him in the last week, for example, uh, against um, I've already forgotten who they played last week. Northern Illinois, like he was running over some of the defensive backs, like just no fear. He's he's not afraid of contact. This time, he was running past some defenders. Uh, I mean, that 72-yard run, he, it wasn't a whole lot of elusivity, elus- elusiveness. It was oh, game. It was just gone, um, just straight-line speed, which is very reminiscent of Taylor Martinez for sure. Um, very reminiscent of Adrian before he got hurt against right. Colorado that year too. Uh, Anthony Grant, 22 carries for a net of 135. Both of those men had a touchdown. Billy Kemp, uh, one carry, nine yards, the touchdown on the uh, jet sweep. I mean, look, they they ran for 312 yards. They averaged six and a half yards per carry. Mm-hmm. If you it, the the proof is in the pudding, as they say. You want to win ball games at Nebraska this year, at least run the damn ball. And I think it's a recipe that can get you to six wins. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I think that as the running game continues to evolve and both evolve from a schematic standpoint, adding more in 
and evolve from an execution standpoint, allowing us to be more physical up front. I think that's going to naturally let the passing game evolve too. I was just thinking before we recorded tonight, I was going over a few things that I wanted to discuss and it dawned on me, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of play action looks off the quarterback run game. And so I think that you'll probably start to see, you know, an option pass. And I think that we've done a nice job of blending some like old school Nebraska concepts with the new school kind of flair, you know, mixed in with the, you know, modern offense. And I think that there's a really nice opportunity to kind of put our modern twist on some of the old classics like uh, the option pass and whether that's, you know, a wheel route out of the backfield from the power eye, because I do think that we'll see some looks like that eventually. I think that we're trending that direction with, you know, especially when we're lining up with an extra offensive tackle in at tight end or unbalanced formations to try to overload the point of attack. So it's a good recipe. That being said, I think that we really need the um, passing game to develop more. I don't think that it's um, tenable long-term to think that we can do this game in and game out because eventually we're going to, I mean, this next week we're running into a defense that's going to be primed and ready to stop the run, stop the quarterback. And so I think that, um, uh, I'm not going to get into that yet. I was going to say, I'll leave that till the end, you know, kind of talking about what it means for Michigan. But in terms of the passing game, no, but we're never going to be, at least not this year, we're never going to be like a drop back passing team, you know, dropping back in the pocket 30, 35 times. We're going to have to throw based off setting up the run, you know, option, play action. And I think that we're really going to have to place an emphasis probably on tight ends in the passing game, which we've started to do and we need to continue to do that. But we probably need to get the backs involved more in Mm -hmm. the passing game just because I think it'll be easier to get somebody open on a wheel route or a rail um, matched up against a linebacker than it will be for somebody lining up at receiver to gain separation against the secondaries that we're going to face. Because right now we just don't have a whole lot of explosiveness at the receiver position. There's, you know, somebody asked this question on the the Five Heart show last week is, you know, about our our wide receivers and who who could emerge. Um, I really do think eventually Marcus Washington's going to get there. Um, but you look at eight for 18 did, was the, the quarterback line, and five of those receptions were to Billy Kemp, most of them for quick slants. Uh, I think maybe a screen. Um, Thomas Fedoni had the the one catch for a touchdown. Um, Alex Bullock, Anthony Grant coming out of the backfield, and folks, that's it. Um, and so we we run the risk now. Everybody loves run the damn ball, uh, especially run the damn ball guy. But we run the risk of becoming one dimensional because we're running the ball so much because that's our only effective method of moving the ball downfield and. You know, you can do that against Northern Illinois. You can do that against Louisiana Tech, Michigan. Michigan's going to put nine guys in the box, and they're going to they're going to challenge you and say, "Try to get past us." Yep. And that's that's good because they know. And I hate to say it, but like our wide receivers are not getting separation. They're not getting space, and we're not hitting those throws consistently enough to be any of a threat in the passing game. Exactly. Um, 
they're just I don't want to say that they're bad athletes because at this level there's really no such thing at a position right. like that being a bad athlete. But a lot of it is just these guys aren't developed. They're they're all young. You know, Malachi Coleman is young. Um, Alex Bullock hasn't played a lot of football, although I do think Alex Bullock will develop into a good player eventually. It, uh, it, Billy, like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but even Thomas Fedoni, I mean, he missed all last year with an injury. Yep. Yeah. You know, he's so he's still developing. He's still on his way up. Yeah. Um, yeah tell, tell us more about Billy Kemp. Well, real quick about Fedoni, since you brought it up, you know, that's this is a case of his confidence is growing week over week. Mm-hmm. What, he, what, what he was at the beginning against Minnesota, he was a little bit more tentative. Like he was still kind of getting his legs underneath him no pun intended, coming back from those double knee injuries. But now he's looking more confident. He's, you know, both as a receiver and as a blocker. And it looks like his speed is even coming back a little bit, you know, as the season progresses too. So that, you know, he's a great weapon to have. And a, and a vertical, a tight end that can stretch the field vertically like that as well. Um, that's an option quarterback's best friend. You know, we've seen that at Nebraska before. Matt Harrion, you know, the tight ends in the 90s. Hitting them off, you know, play action looks is going to be something that is going to continue to uh, be a trend this year. But as far as Billy Kemp goes, I like the kind of explosive athlete that Billy Kemp is, but he struggles to gain separation off the line of scrimmage. And I think a lot of his numbers at Virginia came from a very pass friendly offense with uh, Brennan Armstrong at quarterback. And I also think that, you know, he had two receivers, two other receivers on that team that were both thousand yard guys as well in 2021. And so he was the benefit of kind of being that guy who, if they're going to, if they're going to cover the top two receivers, well, somebody's got to be open. Um, He's not a bad player. I'm not saying that at all, but right now, like if that's your number one go-to guy, he's not in the mold of that wide receiver one. I want to, put it uh, in terms that and I'm not saying Husker fans are stupid. We know that's not the case, but he's Jared Crick, 2009. Yeah. He's benefiting from being next to one of the top players in, to ever play that position. Yeah. That's a, perfectly put, you know, he, he benefited from, you know, matchups. He benefited from, you know, just being able to exploit the defense because they're paying attention to the other playmaker. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and and that and I mean he'd probably be I bet he would probably replicate what he did at Virginia if you had like other weapons around Ray Palmer and Samari oh. Ture on this team. You kidding me? Come on! Yeah. Could you, now look, we we had each of those guys I believe for one year. Yep, one year rentals. Uh, and but and I know that because of eligibility, that's all they had. But I just envision a world where the stars aligned and we had. Samari Torre, Trey Palmer, Billy Kemp. And look, it, I know it sounds like going out and hiring mercenaries, but Nebraska was once a part of the Plains, and, and uh, uh, you go out and you get those hired guns. That's college football in a nutshell anymore. In, in, tw- in, in 2023, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you but know, I'll say this. I, I don't want to get too off track, but it's kind of got the you know creative juices flowing. Um I think last week we talked about Tanner Lee tail mm-hmm. end of 2017. He was playing pretty high level of football after having a turnover problem to start the year. I've always thought 
if you could have paired that pro-style spread offense that we were running late that year where it finally started to click. You know, we weren't trying to be West Coast. We kind of just went with a pro-style spread. If you could pair that, so with Tanner Lee, that quarterback, 2018's Divino Zigbo, mm-hmm. and then Toure, uh, Palmer, and then say like Austin Allen or Fedoni now. I mean, that'd be a pretty formidable offense, you know. And um, there are other like there are other players that were good in there, like JD Spielman, obviously, and Stanley Morgan. But um, neither of those guys had the speed that Toure or Trey Palmer have. And I mean, there's a reason why you know you saw Trey Palmer have a ton of snaps tonight for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, as a rookie. And there's a reason why Toure caught a touchdown yesterday for the Packers in their comeback win against the Saints. I mean, that's NFL speed and athleticism. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to make myself sad if I keep doing this hypothetical <laughs> what if, because although I do love this run the football and watching, you know, our offensive line starting to kind of develop, you know, technique-wise to really maul people at the line of scrimmage. And I like Grant's violent running style, and Harburg is like a having a battering ram at quarterback. Um, I love the merits of a good passing game and what it can do for you to open up the rest of your offense. And that's – I think the passing game is going to be a work in progress for the remainder of this year. I I want to go touch back on on Billy Kemp uh, briefly. When you know with with the success the success that he had at Virginia, and he came to Nebraska, kind of maybe he was told or maybe he was anticipating being the guy, right? The uh-huh. the main target, but and and thinking, well, that'll you know elevate my. My spotlight, yeah, it, and I certainly hope it does. We're only four games into a, a guaranteed 12-game season, but uh, it, it's all about – we, we kind of touched on this, the weapons you have around. Now he's he, he's the main target, but there's not anybody else to kind of help share the load. Yeah, I mean, there's no one else to stretch the field. There's no burner to take the top off the right. defense. I mean – it's almost to a point where you got to think about just ripping off the bandaid and getting Malachi Coleman in there and just saying, Hey, like we know that you're not developed to where we want you to be, you know, to run the entire offense, but Hey, we're going to put you in here. And in in this package of plays or this series of plays, you're going to run the alert route. You know, you're going to run the alert route. That's just running off the safety. And if you're open and we take the chance to throw it to you, you know, maybe you get, you know, a big play, but you know, your job is just to be the clear out. And then, um, you know, maybe that opens up something underneath a little bit more. All right. Let's, let's go down that road briefly. Um, in regards to Malachi Coleman, do you, if you're, if you're going to get him some more time again, you got four games that he can, you know, participate in and still maintain his red shirt. Do you, get him in against Michigan or do you say let's pump the brakes let's let we don't want to risk injury let's hold you for Illinois or Northwestern or uh or Purdue or something like that no I think you got to get him in against Michigan because I think that that is a case where they need to get a taste of what major college football is in this country mm-hmm. I think that nothing is a better teacher than experience is so I think that they need to get him in there, and I think that uh, even if it's a limited set or series of plays, start to see what you he can do. Well, and then I guess to to piggyback on that, you've got the hometown boy 
playing, debuting at home in the biggest game of the season so far. I mean, you know, against the, especially, you know, or, or I guess to paraphrase, because I think we still look at, you know, the Minnesota game was the most important because you got to start the season on the high note with the win. The Colorado game uh, was the most important because the hell with Colorado. They, every game, the most important game is the next game, but this is also number two Michigan, yep. you know. <laughs> So, Michigan, so that I I think as a fan base, I think that we tend to hate Michigan more than Ohio State for obvious reasons from the '90s, you know, split national championship. But I, a lot of it is just I don't think we really appreciate Michigan's superiority complex that they have about everything. Ohio State has that too. Yeah, Michigan's insufferable. I, I think I think my issue with it is on my social media timeline is I have more people who claim Ohio state fandom than Michigan. So I see a lot more of their obnoxiousness. Uh, and, and I could just, mm. so I'll, I'll sure I'll catch hell for this in the comments and that's fine. I always root for Michigan over Ohio state, but I always root for Notre Dame over Michigan. Okay. Interesting. So interesting. It's just, you know, yeah, I, Ohio State, Michigan. It's just I always think like, can both teams lose? Um, they, they, well, they were in the movie a sum of all, uh, a sum of all fears. Uh-huh. Morgan Freeman, Ben Affleck. It's a, it's oh, yeah. a Tom Clancy. I've Tom, seen it. Yep. James Ryan. No, I'm sorry, not you, Jack Ryan. Ugh. Um, you know, I've I used to joke that. Like if it was New England versus Baltimore in the in the uh, playoffs or something, like can we have a some of all fears moment? But that's just you know that's not that's not nice to say. We don't we don't, we don't make those jokes in the twenty first century. All right, um, so we know that the ground game is carrying no pun intended uh, the offense, but that defense sure is doing its part. Um, yep. And without any superstars, really. Just no. being well-coached, well-prepared, flying around. This is a fun defense to watch. And Giving up, Gave up 46 yards on the ground. Nation's uh, top-ranked rushing defense. There you go. And the uh, uh, Fields was their leading rusher with 28, six, six carries for 28 yards. Teams, I just think, don't really want to necessarily even run against us. And we, we knew that going in, you know, the, the scouting report was uh, Louisiana tech passes better than they run. They defend the pass better than they defend the run. Um, and so <laughs> that kind of fit well into what Nebraska does uh, because Nebraska just, I think wanted to pound the rock, um, but giving up almost 300 yards in the ground or on the ground with one touchdown, um, you know, it, it's, or not what I say on the ground in the air. Sorry, sorry for the confusion there, folks. Um, almost 300 yards in the air. There's as good as they are, there are improvements can be made. Yep, so yep, there, uh, there are times where we need to be able to get pressure with four a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're getting good pressure when we bring a blitz, but I'd like to maybe see us get pressure just with four. I'd like to see us start generating some more turnovers as well. I think that that would be – I think that especially with this offense, we could use a short field, you know, to maximize our points scoring. 
But other than that, like this defense, week in and week out, you can tell that they are so well coached and well prepared. They don't have alignment issues. Their their run fits are sound. Their the coverages are always tight. You know, even when a quarterback completes something on us, you know, aside from some of those bombs against Colorado, the coverage is really good. And so, again, like I said last week, I think we don't need to be concerned about Tony White leaving to be a DC at another program. I think we need to be more concerned than the next couple of years he leaves to be a head coach somewhere. Sure. Because he's the real deal. I mean, and for as good as he is, you know, I find myself thinking like, well, on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, why, why is the defense so far ahead right now? You know, and from that standpoint, I think it's, the cupboard was for Frost being an offensive guru. He left the cupboard very bare on his way out. We've only had we've signed. I saw this statistic. We signed thirty high school wide receivers since 2013. Only two of them in the ten years since. Mm-hmm. Only two of them have actually graduated from Nebraska, completed wow. their eligibility, and so. Frost had a big problem with that. There were entire classes that basically within a year or two, most of most of the cl- recruiting class transferred out under Frost. So he left the cupboard bare. And beyond that, he kind of left the cupboard in a state of flux where it was the Frost offense that him and Troy Walters installed upon coming here from UCF. Then they fu- not fired Walters, but he was encouraged to move along. And then they brought in Matt Lubick, who was at a credit union before getting the job here. And uh, I'm trying to hide my uh, displeasure with that hire still to this day. But we bring him in, and the offense morphs a little bit again in 20. And then going into 21, it morphs even further, where it's like this pro-style spread passing game mixed with the Coastal Carolina spread option attack. It's kind of this Frankenstein offense. And then in 2022, it morphs again when you bring in the worst hire Nebraska could have made, Mark Whipple, you know. And it's a totally different skill set. They bring in different transfers through the transfer portal. And then now we're morphing it again. And so, mm-hmm. like, there's been no continuity. There's, it's like Alex Smith when he got drafted in the NFL. He played for seven different offensive coordinators his first seven years in the NFL. People thought he was a bust because he never had any continuity. And so Nebraska's dealt with this before because there was a stretch there, and I didn't mean to interrupt you again, no, but we had like a different defensive backs coach yeah. every year for like five years. Yeah, it went Marvin Sanders, and then I think it was Corey Raymond, then Terry Joseph, then Charlton Warren. I mean, they, like there were just and Dante Williams was there at right. one point. I mean, they just kept rotating and the secondary kind of took a hit. Secondary, by the time Frost rolled around, was pretty depleted in terms of personnel. And these things take time to rebuild. That's why, you know, with the offense, we have to be patient. And I haven't been exactly, you know, I wasn't exactly impressed with um, Satterfield at South Carolina. And I was a little bit reticent about his hiring here. But I will say, after watching the Louisiana Tech game, I'm starting to sit there and I'm like, you know what? When, when he finds something that works, he continues to stick with it. He doesn't tend to get, you know, overly cute or go away f- with, from what's working. Like, 
you know, you have their base concepts and we're going to package them in a few different ways. And we're really just going to emphasize those and, you know, drill down the fundamentals. And so looking at it objectively, you know, when you go back and like you rewatch the tape on Sunday or Monday, you know, when the emotion of the game isn't there, you can see like it's a good plan, actually. Like what we have in place is a good plan for what we have to work with. Like the drive that Anthony Grant scored on, we can mm-hmm. power, you know, double team on the three technique, kick the end with the fullback, pull the guard around to lead up through the linebacker. And we started leaning on them pretty good. And so when these when this identity emerges, you know, fully embrace who we are. Is it perfect? Hell no. But is it enough to get us up to six wins and get to a bowl game? I think so. I want to go back to something you said towards the beginning there in that kind of shocking statistic that you get 30 high school wide receivers brought in in the last 10 years. Two of them graduate as Huskers. Of course, not including the transfer portals in, but there have been an abundance of transfer portals out. Um, And so I got to think, I'm like, why does that number seem so low? You know, like, because at any time you can have, you know, if I pulled up, I don't have the roster pulled up right now, but I bet every player who has WR listed as their position, there's probably 11 or 12 young men listed at wide receiver right now. Oh, yeah. You know, from, from red shirt all the way to senior. I think we talked about this last week, either you and me or uh, John and myself. There is, is a startling lack of experience at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, you have very few underclassmen. You hope that a lot of these younger guys develop, and I think they will over time because I feel like we have the staff in place to actually help these guys uh, develop. But when you're talking about, uh, you know, some of the players who came in and were out, I, I think of all the ones brought in during the Mike Riley era, you know, yeah. the Calabrasca connection. Yeah. I thought of Ty John Lindsay, and I, I typed out, like, Ty John Lindsay, where's he at? Oh, crap, he's with the Seattle Seahawks as a rookie right now on – no, he's not doing anything. No stats, no discernible stats, but, you know, maybe something in the preseason. But, like, for whatever reason, that was a name that, that jumped out at me. Like, I haven't heard Tyjon Lindsay in a while. <laughs> and, you know, he went he went left here, went to Oregon State. Um, you know, just – just it boggles the mind. It, it was – I was shocked that that number of, of high school re- wide receiver recruits was 30. I, I figured it would have been double that. Yeah. Well, you know, we also had a lot of success in that time frame with walk-on receivers or guys that transferred in. Right. You know, Trey Palmer and Toure are two guys that transferred in. Uh, Spielman didn't finish his career here. Nope. He transferred. Stanley Morgan finished his career here, so that's one. But then Brandon Riley was a walk-on. Uh, okay. really count uh, Westerkamp or Alonzo Moore because they were a part of the class of 2012. So that predates the cutoff of 2013. But then you think about, like you said, the Calabrasca, you know, um, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., uh, Ty John Lindsay. You think about guys like, uh, what's his name, Darian Grimm, who, you know, transferred to Boise State. And then the class of 19, I mean, there were a lot of guys, Demarius Houston, uh, Jamie Nance, I mean, guys that were brought in and they never played. They just transferred out. Or DeColdis uh, Crawford. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of guys, you know, just didn't pan out for whatever reason. And 
maybe a little bit of that's development. Maybe it's the revolving door on philosophies in that time frame that's taken place. But we've also had a lot of success with guys like, uh, you know, Levi Falk. I thought he was a good receiver. You know, he, you know, he was a possession guy. You know, he was solid. Um, I felt, you know, Wyatt Lever wasn't bad. And then, I mean, another one, I mean, Xavier Betts transferred in and out, or not transferred in and out, but, you know, he's been in and out of the team. Right. Um, the, uh, no, there's another one. Just, but Levi Falk, you know, that's a name that I think too, too many people forget, but he was one, you know, like, hey, if, it's third and seven. He's going to go to the eight yards out, you know, and, and turn around and be ready for the football. Yep. You know, like that, that's the guy who's going to help make sure that the offense stayed on the field. Uh, and he was a transfer in from one of the Dakotas, I believe. South Dakota State. Thank you very much. Well, then, um, I mean, you got like Will Nixon, who's now at the University of Washington as a running back, but he came here as a receiver. His dad is Jeff Nixon, who was – rules offensive coordinator at Baylor and at Carolina, you know, one of rules best friends too, because I remember when rule got hired and said, you know, I think they were college roommates at Penn when they were playing at Penn state, but Will Nixon, I remember that was really disappointing when he transferred out because in the limited playing time that he did get, he looked really promising. I mean, Wandale Robinson, we're missing the obvious one there too. Sure. Uh, But I don't blame Wandale because, Scott Frost just tried to have him killed in the t- in the uh, end zone. So. That Rutgers, are you t- that? I think you're. I know exactly which play you're referencing. Was, that option against Rutgers from the one is brutal. Well, I was thinking about the one where the the pass. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. too against Illinois, right? Yeah. yeah. To, uh, so, um, but yeah. all right. So any, any, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think I knew we were kind of transitioning this, you know, talk about the passing game. Uh, Mm -hmm. The obvious, you know, we're playing Michigan this week. And um, as much as I think that, I think we'll pop a few runs on them with the novelty of the quarterback run game and everything. But really what I think that it'll turn into is I think that they'll be able to load the box and pretty much shut down our offense. I think our defense will hang in there for a quarter you know, maybe two quarters, much like the Colorado game before I think eventually the dams get a break open, you know, the, so uh, when, when we're forced to you, like, look, if they're putting nine guys in the box, you either go power against power and see what happens. Or I'm afraid I'm, I don't do predictions on this show predictions. I save for uh, the five heart podcast, but you start forcing things in the passing game, which turn into giveaways, takeaways for the other team. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a lot of forced. I, I hope I'm wrong, but we might we might have some some forced errors come Saturday. So. You know, I'll say this. I know you said you don't do predictions. You know, I, I I'll give mine at least. You know, because I'm not on the five heart, but. I think, like I said, the defense will hang in there for two quarters. I think that we'll probably have, you know, a couple of runs that will pop, you know, on the quarterback run game option, designed runs, things like that. And I'm going to say Michigan 27, Nebraska 10 to 14. And you know what? I would 
I'd feel pretty good about the, that one coming away from that. That that would be. I mean, I think that there'd be a lot of positives to take away uh, if, if the score ended up being something like that. I, I, I also see a scenario where no matter what, Michigan has a spy specifically on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And which will make things difficult. Cause I got thinking about like, well, maybe, maybe a 72 yard rush, maybe the kind of rushing day that he had will make them fear slash respect the run game a little bit more might open things up in the option. But if you have a, a, a backer, you know, a linebacker or, or a DB who's, you know, playing the edge on, on an option and you have a spy on the QB, you don't have an option game. Nope. I mean, I think that they'll probably have their ends or outside linebackers really attack our pitch key, you know, the trailing back. And I think they'll have their safety filling hard downhill to uh, take the quarterback. Nothing will make me happier than beating Jim Harbaugh. Same. And you know what's funny? I Right now I can, you know, intellectualize it and be like, yeah, there's no chance. Like, it's not going to happen. You know, let's just keep it close. But Friday, Friday rolls around, I'm going to be – you know, I will have deluded myself into thinking, you know, if this, 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 and this happens, we might just have a chance. They, uh, I, like said, man. I like how you said, uh, deluded. I, uh, uh, I don't, I can't remember the, the social media uh, accounts name. I think it originated on TikTok, but it, it appears in reels on other social media. It's a, it's a, a I believe African gentleman who speaks, uh, English with an accent. And he you find some random TikTok video or something like that and react to it as it goes along, and you know he, he'll say something. E de Lulu, uh, I, I apologize for my horrible uh, impression, uh, but says Dulu, and then he says uh, he gets when he's beyond frustrated. Says Jesus Christ on a motorbike. I <laughs> uh, so anyway, I don't know why I apologize for the random uh, uh, bringing in of the the pop culture. I have, the, feeling, I have a feeling we'd we'll be saying Jesus Christ on a motorbike quite a bit on Saturday. Uh, uh, oftentimes in, in in my house we say cheese and crackers on a motorbike. <laughs> no, not on a motorbike. Usually it's on a plate and it goes in my belly. No, <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough. Solid snack, man. It's a solid game day snack. Uh, all right, Hoss. Louisiana Tech is done. We're two and two. It means technically, if you want to limp in, we're forty percent of the way to a bowl game. Yep. And you know, I was saying that on Saturday to one of my friends where I'm like, God, if we just would have got that Minnesota game, we're halfway there. I, I'm still pissed about that. Because I that game say what you want about Colorado. You know, Colorado we wanted to win because we hate Colorado. I wanted to win that Minnesota became because we could have, you know, like honest to God, we were, it was sitting right there. It was ours for the take and we just pissed it away. Um, but not to get too ahead of ourselves. Obviously Michigan is Saturday. Then on the following Friday night, the sixth, we have uh, Nebraska, Illinois get an extended break before ne- Nebraska Northwestern at home. Then there's Purdue. Then there's Michigan state uh, with their headaches and trouble. Uh, that one's on the road, Purdue's at home, home against Maryland, at Wisconsin, home against Iowa. I mean, I'm looking at that. I can find three to four more wins with no effort. Oh, yeah. Well, the Iowa, duh, that's one of their uh, one of the wins. Because let's talk about their offense for a second. 
I didn't, I didn't really. I didn't. I didn't okay, I'm fine with that. Penn Go State ahead. 31, <laughs> Iowa 0. Greg, neither you or I set foot on a football field on Friday or on Saturday, excuse me. Correct. And or we Friday for me. Same amount of points as I. <laughs> I you know what? It, Ryan Ferentz, 25.5. And and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the week before he had 31. 41. 41. Okay. I, we're gonna start a, a little ticker next week here. Uh, and we're going to do the math. I don't want to do the math right enemy now. Enemy of the show, Brian Ferentz. You say frenemy of the show? Enemy of the oh. show. Well, I'll tell you what. As long as Brian Ferentz is uh, in charge over there, I like our odds. Yeah, you know what? I don't <laughs> want him to get fired. Uh, of, of I, it, But it couldn't happen to a – I'm sure he's a, not a despicable human being. He's just not a good football coach. This must have been what it felt like to be a fan of a different school when they were like, don't fire Mike Riley. No, we love right. Mike Riley. Right. You can't fire the Mr. Rogers of college football. Come Just on now. Time. You, they, PBS didn't fire Mr. Rogers. You can't fire Mike Riley. So Yeah, I am very much like, you know what? Iowa's offense the, and against our defense. Yeah, it's a, it's a dub. I'm calling it right now. We're beating Iowa. Oh, it might be ten to three, but we're beating Iowa. It might be three to two. We don't know. <laughs> Six to four. Here, here we go. Here we go. We'll do four to two. We score two safeties. Yep. I mean, four to three. <laughs> or it'll be, I don't know, like six to five, and somebody I, scores a one point safety. I don't care if it's seventy to sixty three. Yep. I just want to win. I just want that dub. Beat Iowa. So. All right, my friend, uh, let's call it a night. Uh, we appreciate everybody's patience. We know you've been waiting for this one. You know it's bad when John's messaging me and says, are, are you are you guys going to do an overreaction? I'm like, yeah, we, we have some family stuff come up, man. Um, we we have families, John, all right? We're not, we're not decrepit robots. Yeah, we're not decrepit robots who, you know. I feel bad if he watches this. Ra- think who raised a family on the prairie in 1862. And then let one of their children go to Minnesota. To be to be PJ Flex best friend. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I don't know. That is it for our show. Uh, we appreciate you all greatly. Make sure you drop a comment. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Look, you you get one podcast, you get all the podcasts. That's how the coordination podcast uh, uh, system works. You just have to hit subscribe, and you get you get this. You get uh, the five heart. You get John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy. Uh, I don't think we're doing five points of contact as a podcast yet at least john's never told me i think that's a youtube exclusive and that's fine because that's less work for me um but hey you they're all for free so check it out enjoy uh everything that we do here at coordination so for my good friend and broadcast buddy hoss reuter i'm greg mahochko and we'll see you next week go big red win the damn game